Yeah. And I have actually typed up an outline that is not specifically for this talk, but covers some of the things that I'd like to cover in this talk. So the outline will actually be downloadable from the internet along with the talk in a, uh, hopefully a few days' time. So um, the outline will present some things that I have not presented so, and that I won't be getting to present with regard to the subject of the way that we're talking about today, but I just wanted to let you know that the outline would be on the internet along with the talk, because lately I haven't been doing any outlines, but I thought this talk was important enough to merit one. <laughs> important to, uh, to have something that you can refer to in print, so it's available. One of the things I've noticed uh, giving talks recently is that often there is this polarised feelings that many of you have when you come to a talk. Sometimes uh, we discuss a subject that you feel quite happy about discussing and quite enthusiastic about, and so you feel really uplifted and positive and ra raring to go, and so you go away feeling that way. And then other times uh, we deliver a talk on a different uh, subject, something different that you may not have considered or thought about. And often you come away from those talks feeling really scared and frightened and unsure of yourself and so forth. And this emotional instability in you <laughs> that surrounds the truth entering you or being presented with truth is a part of a lack of understanding about the way. You see, when we receive truth and we really understand the benefit of truth, when we fully understand the benefit of truth, and thank you for those that cleaned my whiteboard during the break, um, when we fully understand the benefit of truth, we never respond to it in the manner that most of us do continue to respond to truth. Most of us have this very cyclical, or, or well, we should say, if, if we can call this midpoint here, let's call that emotional stability, shall we? And above there, let's call it positive, happy, desirous, and um, also a, a feeling of hopefulness and a feeling of passion for the subject. Many of us uh, have that with some subjects, but unfortunately, if we look at the negative side, if we can call that side a feeling of hopelessness, despair, despondency, and those kind of emotions, many of us uh, after other subjects, and particularly after the subject when we talked about our spirit life while we're asleep, in the sleep state, that was very noticeable, we go into this place of despondency, despair. And many times what we're attempting to do is we want truth to always feel good. Have you noticed that? And there is in fact that definition that on the natural love path that most of us have absorbed. And that is that if it's the truth, it will always feel good. There's this thought that we have that truth will always feel good rather than just feel 
So we have this belief system that for something to be truth, it has to feel good. And so therefore, every single time we're presented with something that has a a flavour to it that causes us to confront ourselves personally, particularly confronting our personal truth, there is this high tendency we have to resist and reject that particular truth. Now, this brings me to the topic of the second subject on this matter of the way that we want to discuss more about, and that is, remember the second one? It was about truth, isn't it? Having a passionate... Longing and desire for God's truth Now, I haven't, I haven't said exactly the words I said right at the beginning because I want to add and embellish this thought a little. Remember that truth opens our soul to love. And in, in this case, let's be more specific, to God's love. You know, to open our soul to God's love, we need to begin to accept within ourselves God's truth. Now, God's truth is a wide subject, as you and many of you are now starting to understand more clearly. Divine truth permeates all parts of our life. It permeates our physical life. It permeates our scientific belief systems. It permeates our spiritual life, our emotional life, and all of our belief systems in both of those areas of existence it permeates the the scientific truths of the universe itself as well as the the truths about our own personal existence and our own personal state it is all-encompassing it has no holes it has no loopholes either as well as holes the truth is such that it, it is the main force of power for good in the universe and when I say it's one of them it's the main force I'm saying that the truth has its power because without it love is not possible you can't open your soul to love without truth being present and for that reason truth goes hand in glove with love as the saying would go So what we want to do with our um, feelings about truth is really check upon our feelings about truth. Now, on the natural love path, we have a tendency to absorb truths that are palatable to our taste buds from an emotional perspective. So we like the taste or the sound of it, and so we accept it. Whether it is actually truthful or not... We just gauge our level acceptance is totally controlled by whether it feels good to us or not. And that is a problem. Because if the truth does not feel good to us for some specific reason, and I'll put to you later that actually many times the truth is not going to feel good to us, 
then we are not going to accept anything that doesn't feel good. We are not going to emotionally open to anything that doesn't feel good. And when we do that, we are severely limited in our ability to receive love. Because remember the role of truth on your soul. The role of God's truth is to actually physically create the opening. So if you imagine this is your soul, and then this is the hard shell, eggshell around the outside of your soul, where you've become self-reliant, and you're not going to let anything in unless it feels good. Right? What truth does is it creates a vortex or an opening somewhere in that that allows us to have a way in which other external information can infiltrate the soul. Truth actually creates this opening. It breaks down the hard shell of lies and untruth and resistance and instead creates a permeable layer within our soul that allows things to go through it. It's a bit like osmosis. You've heard of osmosis? You've heard of probably reverse osmosis, which is a way of filtering water. But osmosis allows liquid to penetrate through what is seemingly an impermeable membrane. And what we need to do is, truth is the thing that opens our soul to allowing the love to actually flow into it. It creates this gap or this opening in our hard shell. Without truth, our soul is condemned to stagnation. And yet, so many of us still hate hearing the truth. And that is an indication that we are addicted to the natural love path, the broad way. Can you see that? You see, if we really, at the emotional level, understood the importance of truth in our day-to-day lives, would we be as resistive to it as we currently are? Now, I am not talking about somebody coming along and telling you the truth, yabbering at you about what they perceive the truth to be. I am talking about the truth actually being a part of your soul, actually inside of your soul itself. So you remember earlier in our presentation today, there was a series of questions asked about different subjects. One was about anger, another was about free will and so forth, right? And in each case, the asking of the question demonstrates that the truth about that subject has yet to enter my soul. Because if the truth about that subject has entered our soul, there's no more need to ask questions about the subject, Now that makes sense, doesn't it, from a logical perspective? Like if you knew everything there was to know about building a car engine, then you would be able to build a car engine from scratch, even if that meant manufacturing the parts and everything else, and you'd know what to do, you'd know what materials you'd need, you'd know where to get them from, you'd know everything about the subject. And once you know everything that there is to know about a particular subject, then you can do quite easily, can't you? 
you can create quite easily. Everything changes from that time. Now, we could argue that uh, many of us don't know everything there is to know about any particular one subject, but the reality is if you had a thousand years to learn about a car engine, do you think after a thousand years you'd know a fair bit about it? Of course, of course you would. Most guys on the planet, my own father knows a fair bit about engines generally. He's worked on them all of his life. And uh, <clears throat> he's now, I think he's turning 70 this. I think it's a few days time actually. His birthday's in December or January. I can't quite remember which because he doesn't celebrate his birthday. <laughs> um, but... He's 70 years of age and for a good 50, 60 years of his life he's spent working on car engines. So he has a pretty good working knowledge of those particular things. Imagine if you added another 1,000 years onto that. By the end of that you'd know a fair bit about the whole subject, wouldn't you? About how far you could go with an internal combustion engine. And as a result of that, as a result of that knowledge, um, we can... We can absorb and be familiar with all the knowledge, but we can also create quite well once we have that particular knowledge. Now, my father, in his desire to understand the engine, never felt any fear about the subject. I've seen my father be so absorbed with an engine, in this case a model aeroplane engine, that he actually stuck his finger through the propeller while it was going in order to adjust the fuel <laughs> and he finished up ring barking two of his fingers and having to have 70 something stitches to put all the skin back on and flesh back on from those two fingers just because he was so absorbed in the subject or you could say also a little spirit influenced in the subject obviously and to be so out of his body and not be aware that this screaming engine was still going in front of him while he was putting his hand through it. But he was so absorbed in the subject that um, he could even do something like that. He had no fear at all of that blade spinning around at 15,000 revolutions every minute. No fear at all. Didn't cross his mind. But that's what, that's what sometimes the passion does, isn't it? Like... You don't have any fear at all. And sometimes we take that to an extreme on our planet. We don't even have any sense of ourselves as a result of, the, of that. But obviously if we were connected with ourselves, we'd at least have a sense of ourselves. But we often have no fear about any subject that we desire passionately to investigate. And I put to you that if we have fear about receiving divine truth then we may not be as passionate about the subject as what we believe. Can you see that? Because why would you have fear about something that's going to transform your life into something beautiful? Obviously we don't think it's going to transform our life into something beautiful. That's why we have the fear associated with it. Can you see so what we need to start doing with regard to this subject of truth the white was just not wanting to come off is it <laughs> the reason why we uh, what we need to do is we start need to, we need to start questioning ourselves to a degree here so we need to ask ourselves questions about 
what is really our passion and desire when it comes to truth? Do we have a passionate longing for it if we have so much fear surrounding it? So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Can desire and fear... Can desire and fear... Um, Be in harmony if we long for truth. So if we really, really want truth, can we desire it and fear it at the same time? Is what I'm asking. And if I fear it, can I see that that must be hugely limiting my opening of my own soul. Can you see that? Now, if my soul has to be opened by truth in order for me to receive divine love, and if divine love is the transforming power of the soul, then can you see that unless I open the door to divine love flowing... I am forever consigned to be the limit of what I can be, the finite creation that I was originally created as, the sixth dimensional being. That's as far as I can go with my development. Can you also see that unless I'm willing to open the door to God's truth about every single subject, including my own condition, I am limiting the flow of divine love into my own soul. I am using my will... My free will, we often call it, that God gave us to, to use. I'm using my will to stop or prevent or resist the flow of love into my soul. And we need to be honest here. Many of us still think we can ask questions in fear. Many of you come up to me and say, the very first words out of your mouth say, I'm really afraid to ask you this, but. And you know what I'm tempted to say almost straight away? Go away and come back when you're not afraid to ask it. <laughs> because when you're afraid to ask things, and then you go ahead and ask the truth of what's being said to you will not enter you. Because your fear prevents it from entering. For many of us, the reason why we ask question after question, and many times for many of us we have asked the same question over and over again, is not because we want to know the answer. But rather, it's because we want a different answer than the previous one that was given. Does that make sense? That is the case for many of us. Joy, you would like to ask a question? AJ, does that mean that if I'm really desiring truth, 
that it will enter my soul instantaneously when it's delivered? Yes. Yes. Now, of course, the probability of that occurring, while we have so many emotions of error to release, and this is where there is a symbiotic relationship between truth and humility, is, is highly unlikely if we have no humility that truth can enter us under any circumstance. We have to be open to its entering us. So... And the only way we can be open to for truth to enter us is to have error leave us at the same time that truth enters us. And that is an emotional process. The error leaving us has to leave with an emotion and, and therefore the truth can enter us at that moment. So if we were always open to feeling our own emotions, being humble, can you see we would also probably be very open to receiving truth and once we receive the truth the truth wouldn't be just an intellectual thought something that we could intellectually and logically digest but rather it will enter us as an emotional condition inside of our soul the truth will enter us as an emotional condition inside of our soul can I illustrate how this occurs with some of the addictions that we might face Many of you have said to me or have said to others that you're passionately on the divine love path, which let's call it we're passionately on the way to God, the, to our relationship with God. And at the same time, you are aware of physical addictions that you retain and enjoy retaining. So, for example, some of you, the physical addiction might be like cigarette smoking, for example. And I'll give that as an example. Please understand, for those of you who are still smoking, I'm not picking on you specifically, just using an example. So let's say I'm passionately longing and desiring God's truth in this matter, and I am smoking, and, and I realise intellectually again, it must be only an intellectual realisation because I'm still smoking, I realise that smoking is bad for my body and it demonstrates a lack of self-love because I'm harming my body with something that if I didn't have it, my body may live a lot longer. And in fact, there is, seems to be, and definitely is documentary evidence at this point, that your body might live 10 to 20 years longer by not smoking compared to, to smoking. So I know there's some issue of love involved. Now, if I am having a longing desire for God's truth on that matter, I would realise that the addiction prevents a lot of things from happening. While I'm engaging the addiction, I am never going to have a love of myself. Can you see that? I'm engaging the addiction because I'm masking or covering over a feeling that I don't love myself... And it's as, as a result of that, and as evident, because I'm slowly committing suicide, really, by, by, by smoking, I'm, that's what I'm doing, I'm slowly committing suicide, I'm reducing my life expectancy. And so therefore, I must at some level intellectually be aware that this habit or addiction is not good for me. But I continue doing it. And that tells me that I am yet to have the truth enter my 
soul. Because if the truth had entered my soul, I would instantly be unable to smoke one more cigarette. Right? Because of the love issue that it confronts if I do. Because I would be out of harmony with love if I did. So, so what we need to do is understand uh, that our addictions... While we feed them, we are actually denying truth from entering our soul. Now, I'm not just talking about physical addictions here. I'm talking about the addiction that many, many of you ladies have, for example, that you want a man who you can control and manipulate. That addiction. And I'm talking with, about for many of the men here, the addiction you have to give to a woman so that you get from them sexually, that addiction. And I'm talking about the addictions we all have generally to not say the truth in what we call delicate situations, that addiction. All of those addictions are addictions that we are feeding. Now, I put to you that while you continue to feed your own addictions, whether they be spiritual, emotional or physical in nature, you are not opening your soul to truth. You're not letting the truth enter you because the layer of addiction is the error that we were staying in and want to stay in still. And that, since that's not entering us anymore, what is happening is that we have no openness to divine love coming into our soul and transforming our soul. We have no hope to change. You see, a lot of times we create our own hopelessness by the actions we take. Can you see that? So in other words, we are feeding our addictions frequently and because we feed the addiction rather than confronting the addiction, which would be the truthful thing to do, we feed it and it becomes the thing that guides our life now. We are under its control, but unfortunately, because we're under its control, there is no prospect for change. And yet when somebody comes along and tells us, oh, you have this addiction, this emotional addiction, no, I don't, no, I don't. It's like the smoker, while he's having a cigarette, somebody comes along, you're still smoking. No, I'm not, no, I'm not. One thing I like about physical addictions is this. At least you can see that you have them. With emotional addictions, you know what happens? Most of the time, we deny their very existence. So we can't see we have them. And the problem with that is if we don't acknowledge the truth of anything, then love cannot flow. We're blocking out, we're using our will to block the flow of love. Matthew? Matthew? Um, I'm not really sure how anyone else feels, but like the first, the f n number one, great. As soon as we got on to number two, like I'm really struggling to stay awake and I'm getting a lot of spirit influence now that we're starting to talk about truth because I feel like that's what spirits in particular don't want us to yes. connect yes. with. Yeah. This is the problem we have in the world today is all of us think we want love 
and we'll talk about love and we're open to a discussion about love fairly well open emotionally but as soon as I begin speaking of truth which is the doorway into love everyone closes the door can you feel your own feelings that's what I'm wanting to do closing the door to this basic understanding of divine truth and yet what I'm saying to you is without divine truth without God's truth you have no hope to have your soul ever transformed and yet as soon as we start talking about truth even there's a you know a contraction of our very soul and we've got to look at why can you see We've got to look at why we are so resistive to hearing the truth all the time. Why is it such a burden for you to hear the truth? Would you like to express why it's such a burden? Deb, thanks if we're going to. For me, uh, maybe possibly for others, uh, the only time I heard truth as a child was twice from my father and twice that I recall, might have been more, um, I was so totally condemned. And, uh, okay, so, so usually a parent mm-hmm. has condemned, condemned. Like I was in a box that I could never, I could never get out of this box. I was just bad. Or judged you. Yeah. So the problem is oftentimes when I start talking about truth, there's this automatic feeling inside of you that you're going to be judged or you are being judged as bad useless pointless that is a basic reason why we have resistive to being open to truth if we go to is it Monique out there yes sorry Renee sorry sorry Renee I just feel really hopeless and really powerless as though I can't change and just end up giving up. So we have a belief that I cannot change. And by the way, that is a true belief while you resist God's love. (laughs) Does that make sense? That's why we have a tendency then to feel it, of course. If we go to Alex. Uh, there is a fear of, of seeing the level of unlovingness within me. So, so third, third thing, we don't want to see our true condition. Or let's put it this way, I cannot, a feeling that I cannot face my true condition I feel like especially still going through a lot of fear with after the sleep state talk yep. um, to, to see the truth of what's happening there for me yes, yep. real struggle to feel our true condition yep. so, so the trouble is when we struggle to feel our true condition we bury our head in the sand right? Because in denial because we don't want to actually see or feel our true condition does that make sense? Money? It's just up the back there. Um, 
um, when I see the truth about myself, sometimes I feel so overwhelmed um, that it's so big that um, I feel powerless to change anything. Okay, so there's two issues there, really, but let's look at the first one. I feel overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the badness. I guess I judge it as well. Right, see, I wouldn't call it the badness. I'd just call it the emotion within. (laughs) (laughs) You know, understand? I feel overwhelmed. We we want to talk more about these feelings in a minute because we're going to focus on some of these feelings in the humility section of the talk. But can you see how some feelings are preventing us from even allowing the truth to open the door to love? We're not even getting to the point where we're opening the door to love because we're rigidly holding onto the door, which is truth, not wanting it to open because we're afraid of what we're going to have to feel if it opens. So we don't open it. But we consign ourselves to stagnation. And then we punish ourselves for we punish ourselves for being stagnant. Does all that make sense to you? Why would we bother that entire process? Why not stop that entire process and start acting differently? It's what we need to do, isn't it? We go, Nora, thanks. Up to... um, <clears throat> last night I felt um, very weak. Like I was really weak to be able to actually connect with God and allow the process Yep. The feeling of weakness, yeah. But at the same time, that feeling allowed me to see that I was actually connected at the same time. So weak is the opposite, opposite of power, isn't it? So let's say I feel powerless. But what are you feeling powerless about, Nora? I can't remember what it was at the time. I was just remembering, just concentrating to what you were saying, and um, one of the feelings was uh, not powerless, but I said weak. Yeah, yeah. Yep, weak. Weak. Yep. Um, I suggest to everyone who feels powerless or weak or controlled or whatever, uh, any of those emotions related to that, that actually all of those emotions are what I would call furphy emotions or emotions of self-deception and underneath them is the real emotion and the real emotion usually if if we're talking about powerlessness or weakness the real emotion is how much we were controlled through our entire life and we don't want to feel the pain of that so what we do when we don't want to feel the pain of one emotion we create another one so we don't have to feel the real emotion. Many of you are doing this, and this is something I'd like to talk about in humility. Many of you are doing this, creating an alternative emotion and being totally absorbed in that alternative emotion rather than feeling the actual one. So for yourself, Nora, your mother controlled you all of your life. This is why you feel powerless and weak. What you do is instead of allowing yourself to feel mummy's control of you and how unpleasant it felt, you would prefer to feel powerless and weak instead rather than feel the pain of being controlled. 
by another person all your life. And this is what we do with many emotions. We substitute more acceptable emotions so that we do not have to feel the real pain and hurt underneath. Now later I want to talk more about that subject because I'll list some emotions that we're doing that with. And one of them is this emotion of feeling powerless or weak. Another one is feeling unheard, feeling unwanted. They are all emotions often that have very strong feelings underneath them that we need to allow ourselves to see. If we go across to Tim, then across to Joy. Thanks, Andrew. Um, one that came up for me is witnessing um, someone being in trouble for doing something and the parent being angry at them about it, demanding the truth, so they're already receiving anger, and then um, they say that they won't be punished if they just tell the truth, nothing will, be, nothing will happen. And then they tell the truth, and then the truth just confronts them so much that they get angry and smack them. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. So in other words, we've been lied to so much about the allowance of truth in our lives. In our entire lives, it, we often get punished for the truth. When we tell a lie, then we get away with it. You notice that? Particularly we learn this as a child. You know, the child, parent comes up, did you do that? Did you do that? And already you can feel the violence in the question, right? And so you're already shaking your boots. No. <laughs> Seems to be the right answer at the time, right? <laughs> Even though, yes, I did do it. No feels to be right. Because you're so worried about the potential violence associated with either telling or receiving truth. So this is another reason why we're resisted truth, is because in the past, the truth was often so associated with violence. Does that make sense? Now Joy was next, and then Mary down the front here. Um, yeah, similar to Tim, I know I had a fear of um, getting into trouble because I've done something wrong, and I also had a fear that because I'd get ridiculed, ridiculed if I did something right. Yep. So either way. Ridiculed if you get do something right because it wasn't right enough? Is that, or, or just because... I've had lots of situations in my life where I've done something outstanding in my passions and desires and been ridiculed. And ridiculed for the passion or desire. Yeah. Ridiculed for the emotion yeah. associated with what you did. Yep. yep. Mary? I, I feel like there's two reasons why I resist God's truth. One is because I of this issue with humility that I have, the feeling that I'm, all love will be withdrawn from me if I feel my true feelings. And so when truth comes to me, it's, it triggers my feelings and because I feel like I can't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of the punishment of feeling, mm -hmm. I resist the truth. Mm -hmm. And that also um, prevents truth entering me emotionally. But the second thing is that in my family, there's almost a prejudice against truth. Yep. There is no one truth. There are many sides to stories. And if you know a truth, you are arrogant and you're dogmatic. And so let's call that a confusion with truth. There's actually a huge grief in me that I feel like truth has been a dirty word all yeah. my life yeah. and I've felt so lost around truth that now there's all these blocks to just 
allowing myself to receive truth. You know? So when a person states, for example, what Mary's saying, when a person states in her family that this is the truth, the family says, no, that's not possible because everyone has their own truth. There's truth in everything. And there's, you know, two sides to there's two story. sides to every story. And I put to you that there's not two sides to every story, actually. There's actually three sides to every story. But anyway, that's a different discussion. And um, this is all surrounding issues of truth, right? So we have all this fear and confusion associated with truth. Confusion in the sense that emotionally I'm not allowed to even consider that something could be the absolute truth because of the family environment or the different other emotions that I've grown up with. Because that is immediately condemned as a concept. Does that make sense? Yeah. And for many of us that, is being, that has been the case. By the way, the three sides of truth are... God's mine and his. It's interesting you said his. Oh, theirs. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, God's mine and theirs. And mine can be God's, can't it? Or yours could be God's. We we have the ability for one of us to be in harmony or in line with God's truth. So then there'd be two sides to truth. Truth and the error. And, uh, but unfortunately for many of us, both of what is presented is often in error and God's truth is often somewhere, somewhere else, indetermined by both individuals, uh, unable to be accepted by both individuals. Yep. Who was next? Uh, there was no next? I don't think there was any next. Oh, no, down here and then over there. Hi. Um, when you're talking about these furfy emotions where we would rather feel weak than the true emotion, does that stand true for physical illnesses? Like I would rather have chronic fatigue than face a depression or... Yes, the contro- definitely. All, this is something I wanted to present in this aspect of truth. If we are truly understanding the way, we understand that every physical ailment pain or disease or sickness inside of our body is the direct creation of our own denial of truth. Every single one. So if you've got a little tiny twinge in your back, direct denial of something. If you've got a larger, sort of more chronic ailment like you know chronic fatigue or something that doctors don't necessarily recognize but or others that doctors do like cancers or or disease heart disease and so forth they are all indications that we are in complete denial of a truth and if we're on the way on the way we're not focused on curing effects We are focused on examining and finding the cause of the denial inside of ourselves that creates the particular problem. Does that make sense to everyone? And yet how many of us still take a pill when we're in pain? How many of us still go to the doctor when we have a problem or a dentist when we have the problem? 
How many of us still do these physical things? Now, I'm not saying don't do them. It's up to you whether you do them. What I'm saying is if you're engaged in doing them, there's an indication within you. And don't change your actions because remember, it's pointless changing your actions. There's an indication that there is the truth has yet to enter your soul yet. That's all. And I'm not condemning that state. I'm just saying that you're still on the natural love path if the truth has not entered your soul yet. Does that make sense? So we're here listening, but not actually putting into practice what we're hearing. And you're allowed to do that. And God, what does God feel about that? The same as God felt about your anger. Remember that we discussed earlier. Love, understanding, compassion, kindness... There's no feeling in God of rage or anger or condemnation. There's no feelings in God that God wants to withdraw love from you. But unfortunately, we are in denial of some truth. And while we're in denial of truth, this cannot happen. Opening of our soul cannot occur. Right? And if we understand that, we would be less invested in trying to stay away from the truth can you see that we would have a longing to go towards the truth not going don't tell me the truth don't tell me the truth all the time we'd have a longing to go into it rather than rather than try to run away from it all the time that's what we would do but for majority of us we're, we're not longing to actually even accept the truth in our soul we're not wanting to and if we don't want to, then how can the love flow? Do you remember right back at the very first talk I gave? I think it was the Secrets of the Universe talk that many of you would have heard was as the very first talk I gave. I talked about the Holy Spirit. And I talked about this force that God has through which the conduit of love flows. And I talked about how if you're out of harmony with truth, that connection that plug cannot occur you cannot connect to God's love without being harmonious with truth on a particular subject can you see how we limit ourselves so much we get so resistive on this subject of truth that love now is impossible to flow and you know what we do then we try to fool ourselves that we're receiving love so when we're asked, have you received divine love? Yes, I've received divine love. Oh yeah, what did it feel like? Oh, well I'm not really sure and you can't, you know, you can't really define it. And then and how has it changed your life? Well, it probably hasn't actually changed my life very much now that I think about it. And I put to you, uh, you probably haven't received divine love then because divine love transforms the soul into a new creature. And what you're trying to do is manufacture the feeling of it rather than actually have the real feeling because you don't want to come face to face with the truth. Truth is just an essential part of your existence without which your soul cannot open. Jen, you have the mic up there. Yeshua, I go into rebellion. 
Sorry, I can't hear you well. Yeah? I go into rebellion. Rebellion, yes. Why is that, do you feel? I could tell you a whole long story about my childhood, but it's <laughs> not about that. Well... It partially is in the sense that uh, things have happened in your childhood that cause you to have a predisposition to go into rebellion. But the reality is, if I'm going into rebellion, that tells me that I have a huge fears associated with truth. Doesn't it? Rebellion is like an anger towards truth. Can you see that? When we, when we go into rebellion, we're really quite angry about the truth. And so that's telling me that I am quite resistive to actually receiving truth on any level. Is there a question associated with it? Jen? You just I, wanted to say you're going I, to rebellion. I can't, I can't get the question out of me. It's yep. there. Can just, you, can just you... why? Why 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 do I choose to the the blunt answer? Please. You're not humble. This is why we have to have the third part of the equation put into place, you see. You see, we often uh, you you notice that the more we get into the way, the three parts of the way when we discussed love, we were all quite open to that subject, were we not? You felt quite open, you could feel the audience generally quite open. Now that we're getting on to truth, we're less open. Right? We're less open about the subject of truth. How open do you think we're going to be about the subject of humility? <laughs> Probably pretty close, eh? Because, and, and yet, the three things are essential for us to be transformed. So, so the reason why I'm discussing truth in this way, and I was tempted when I thought about doing this talk with you, to discuss them in the opposite sequence. Humility first, and then truth next, and then love, right? But the only problem with that is you wouldn't have understood right from the beginning that you don't have to try to transform your soul. You would have, all through the discussion of humility, you would have thought you had to try to be humble, and all through the discussion of truth, you thought you would, you, you would have tried to be truthful. And then we would have got to love and you would have to throw all that out. So I decided, well, we've got to start where God starts, and that is with love. That's the transforming effect. Truth is the thing that opens the door to that love. And so we need to look at why we are so resistive to truth. It was funny uh, yesterday. I, I bought a juicer um, the other day, and this juicer isn't designed very well. And um, I bought it as uh, I think it was. We, we have juice every day, so I bought this juicer, and uh, it's one of those low impact juicers. But it, it was the same model as the previous one that I'd had, and we needed a second one because we're now travelling back and forward between New South Wales and Queensland quite frequently. So I had one in one place and one in the other instead of carrying our whole kitchen down every time we go down. So, so we have one in one place and one in the other. So I thought I was buying the same thing. But unfortunately, they upgraded it. And you know what? With most upgrades, what tends to have happen is that they tend to improve 
in quotation marks, the design. And when they improve the design, usually that means that the design is severely impacted negatively, which I found out to be the case in this juicer. So I email the truth to the person I bought it from. The truth is, this is what I said. <laughs> this juicer does, is not being designed properly. And I described how it hadn't been designed properly. And then I said what I felt like doing to the juicer. <laughs> I said, I feel like getting out an axe and chopping up the juicer, which is exactly what I felt at the time. The main reason why I felt that was because um, the previous juicer only took me a half an hour to juice all of my uh, fruit. But this juicer, because of its design flaw, now takes me an hour and a half to do exactly the same job. And after a few times of doing that, and trying to be patient, <laughs> I gave up being patient, because my real feeling was one of frustration. And so what I did, the next thing I did, was I modified the juicer a little, Which did actually help the juicer. It didn't break the juicer or anything like that. It did actually help it, but it still didn't cure the problem. So the time to do my juice went for, from an hour and a half to an hour and a quarter or so, but it didn't fix the problem at all. So I felt the need to email it off. Now, I didn't expect anything. I said to the lady, I don't expect any warranty return because I've modified the juicer. I don't expect anything else. I'm just saying to you that you shouldn't be calling it a five-star juicer because it's got a design flaw. Now, what do you think the lady did with that? <laughs> well, the lady who was on the other end, and I won't say the company name, of the email has a personal emotional investment of her worth in this juicer. So she felt that I was attacking her personally. So what did she do? What do most of us do when we're getting attacked or we feel we're being attacked personally? We just attack right back. So the lady told me I was basically an idiot and I didn't know how to use a juicer and, and all of these other things she told me. Right? Lovely customer service, I felt. Which I emailed back to her and told her. <laughs> I just said, well, you know, that might be your customer service, but I assure you that if you continue to have this kind of customer service that you're not going to have too many customers in the long term, right? Anyway, she emailed me back. Because <laughs> by this time, she was enraged. Right? And she was, she was very, very sarcastic and, and, and bitter, and I won't go into all the words she, she stated. I was tempted to reply, but I thought, no, it's probably gone far enough already. <laughs> But what I'm getting to is that if this lady was emotionally open to the truth, she could have said, I am so sorry that your juicer doesn't seem to work properly. Have you tried this or that? Not assuming that I hadn't and not accusing me of not doing it. She would have said, have you tried this and that? And I could, to which I could have replied, no, I have not tried or I have tried those things. I had, I had tried those things, but she could have said, you know, we could have had some dialogue that wasn't at all where she's now being angry and upset, right? No matter how angry and upset I might have been, right? 
she would have, we could have engaged this in a, in a much more loving way. But because of the resistance to basic truth and the emotional investment in maintaining a stagnant condition, we often engage a person in anger or wrath or fear. And that's what I'm saying, stating to you, is that this problem with truth is such that we often have an emotional investment in maintaining our facade. And because of this emotional investment we have in maintaining our facade, we are completely resistive to acceptance of any truth. And the unfortunate thing is, while we are resistive of the truth, no love can enter us. Now, I put to you that me emailing back this lady and telling her the design flaw of this particular machine, they could have improved the design of the machine and maybe even resulted in more sales than they currently have. But they have an entire website designed to extolling this particular machine, to highlighting the virtues of a machine that is basically flawed. Now, do you think in the long term they are going to have much success like that? See, potentially, every single person in Australia could buy one of these machines. It could be the best machine that you could ever think of getting if you were thinking of juicing. But now it's not. Now it's one of a number of failures because there was no acceptance of truth. And then on top of that, do you think I'm going to return to her company as a customer? No. In fact, I've bought two other manual juices that they actually had from a different company as a result of that interaction because of the lack of love in the interaction and the lack of desire to receive the truth. Yeah. And if we can consider that in our own lives, it would be very beneficial. Because if we can see that when we have so much of a wall up to truth, people just come up to that wall and look at the wall and go, wow, do I want to engage the truth with this person? Would you want to? So you withdraw. So if you think of it, for many of you, you see you've put up this resistive wall towards accepting truth. That's around the soul. Now, I'm not just talking about the truth that from somebody who you admire or honour. I'm talking about like your little child comes up and says, Mummy, why did you get nasty with that lady next door? There's some truth coming at you. Or when your husband or wife comes up to you and says, do you want to really know why I don't want to have sex with you? <laughs> do you really want to know that I, I actually don't feel like sleeping with you half the time? And do you want to know why? For most of us, what we do is we go, no, I don't want to know why. <laughs> Just sleep with me <laughs> and ignore all the truth. Right? 
And this is what we do is we resist the truth. But unfortunately, what we're doing is we're creating a rod for our own back. We're not allowing, because of this resistance to truth, we're not allowing the change that's possible in our own life as a result of, it, of actually having the truth enter us. So we're sitting behind our little brick wall and as truth comes to us, you know, if you're a person here on this side of the wall, let's say you're part, it's your partner, this guy's partner, and she's trying to share the truth with him. And he's got this wall up. Now, what would you do? Would you just keep bashing your head against the wall, going, I hope this works sometime in the future? Or what would you generally do? What, what normally happens when people have got a wall up to truth like that? What do we do? We just throw up our hands in the air, say, it's all pointless. And usually we have a few expletives in between those two. It's all pointless, right? And we just allow the whole thing to grud over because we feel nothing is going to change. And how do you feel when nothing's going to change? Don't you feel these feelings? Hopeless. Desireless. And so forth. Isn't that the emotions? And this is what the wall of resistance creates in our life. It creates this hopeless feeling. We're never going to be able to change. We're never going to, it's never going to get better. Our relationship's never going to be able to grow. And some of us will stay in that place because we're too afraid to do anything else. And we stay in that place all of our physical life and then, frankly, a lot of our spirit life, unfortunately. We stay in that same hopeless, desireless place. And that happens because of the resistance there is in this planet and in the individuals towards actually receiving the truth. Yes? And then Tara. Tara's there for somebody. Um, Joshua, I was just wondering, um, the wall of resistance, um, does it keep putting more resistance up the more you resist it, if that makes sense? Well, you see, one of the things we need to understand about resistance is resistance is born in fear. So every time we resist something, it's like building a brick wall with another brick. Every time we resist the same thing again, we put another brick on top of the wall towards that particular thing. So the resistance grows towards that. So The resistance continues to grow to... until we're in so much pain that we decide to take the opposite action and in that um, growing of the resistance does that also harm our bodies and our spiritual body as well so certainly just keep damaging ourselves every time we resist yes our body will begin to demonstrate the resistance so you know when we're very young we have very little resistance so our bodies generally are quite healthy unless our parents have a lot of resistance but then as we grow into our 20s and 30s, we start to get a few little aches and pains here and, and there and so forth. And then we get into our 40s and 50s and now we're starting to feel a lot more aches and pains. Our body's starting already to deteriorate now. We've got lines everywhere where we shouldn't have and, uh, and parts of our body everywhere that we shouldn't have. And, 
And this is, a, this is the resistance coming out now. It's demonstrating itself in our body. And so by the time we're 70 or 80, even our mind many times starts to close down now. We don't even want to know anything anymore, remember anything anymore, and so forth. So the resistance gets so heavy that the majority of people on the planet cannot live above 80 to 90 years of age. That's the result of the resistance. Now, scientists don't even understand why we can't live beyond that age. They see that they call it the what do they call it? There's a gene. They call it a gene. You ever heard of it? No? It's a longevity gene. It's the, it's the gene associated with how long we live. Right? And they call it the death gene. They don't know why even our body seems to want to die even though it's got the capacity to completely replicate itself every seven years they don't understand and I'm saying this is the reason why because our resistance to truth closes down every system associated with our soul it closes down our spirit body it closes down our physical body and eventually we end up in so much pain that we die our body cannot sustain its own life anymore because of the amount of resistance we've piled up now in our soul. Right? Now, the average person passes over then into the spirit world. Do you think anything's changed? Aside from a body, <laughs> nothing's changed. They still have that same level of resistance. So therefore, they have the same pains in their spirit form, the same physical pains. Many of them believe themselves to be dying of a heart attack every day after they've died of a heart attack because of the resistance to the truth associated with that condition. Does that also like, become an addiction, like, you know, the resistance to truth? Like, you just get so used to it, you just... Yeah. Well, I feel it's the resistance to feeling feelings of fear that have become an addiction. Yep. Remember that this wall is constructed because of fear and the only thing that destroys fear is truth. Truth, truth this is what destroys fear. You see, and we have to, before we will feel our fears, we need to actually hear the truth. Yeah. And this is a problem that we face is that the false expectations that appear real to us have higher importance to us than the actual truth has to us. And so what do we do? We resist the actual truth, wanting to maintain the false that appears real, the facade, the lies that we've now maintained for most of our life. And as a result of that, we stack more bricks on the pile of resistance. So if we um, receive some truth and just straight away felt it and allowed it, then we wouldn't have to work through all the walls of resistance that we put up? It's or do you still have to work through all those walls of resistance? To, well, the we walls of resistance are only there because of... The fear. Fear. Mm. So we have okay. to allow ourselves yeah. to feel our fear. fear. Yeah. So, so the only way for this wall to begin crumbling is for us to feel the fear rather than living in it live 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 in in fear 
Most of us live in fear rather than feeling the fear. We act in harmony with the fear. What the fear dictates is our life. We do everything the fear says. So if I feel unsafe, I want somebody to make me feel safe. If I feel unwanted, I want somebody to make me feel wanted. If I feel unheard, I want somebody to hear me. And I create a life around me where every one of my unfelt feelings creates my life because of my resistance to feeling the fear of those feelings. Yeah, I get it. And that's where the truth sets you free instantly. Instantly. The if truth you, has the ability to set if, you free. Yeah, it has instantly. the ability, yeah. 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 Thank you. Certainly. Just straight behind you, Di. I have an addiction to being liked. <laughs> yep. And therefore I compromise the truth with that. So in other words... So every, I, every addiction die is related to a fear. So what's mm. the fear? Rather, rather than telling me the addiction, tell me the fear. It's a fear, the fear of is being... The fear of being unliked. The fear of being disliked, yeah. Or disliked. Yeah. So yeah. therefore I comprom compromise the truth with that. Exactly. And what my question is, while I'm in emotional addiction, I'm not being truthful. You're not being truthful and the truth can never enter, enter. your heart. And if the t truth never enters your heart, there'll be no opening to love. So what we finish up doing is we finish up maintaining these lack of humility states, which is all based around our fear. And what we do is we maintain that state which prevents us from having the truth. And the, because we don't have the truth, we're now prevented from receiving love. And so you know what we do because of all of that? We go into a barter system with love, which is not love at all. We create a, an alternate universe about love. And the alternate universe, as long as you give me what I want, I'll give you what you want, and we'll all make feel loved. And we don't feel loved still because there's still this terrible feeling in us that we're unloved. And a terrible knowledge that if I've got to get something or give you something in order to get something, that I'm not being loved in the first place. And yet we engage that as a belief system because we prefer that rather than actually being humbled to the emotions of fear that we have. That's why we engage it. So we create this alternate universe, this different universe than what God created. God, universe God created is all harmonious with love. And what we do is we create an alternate universe that's all harmonious with barter. We create a bartering system and then hope we're going to be happy somehow. That's what we do. And it's all because we're resisting the truth. We want to stay away from truth. Yeah. Can I, before I answer a few more questions, I want to add a few more things to this subject of truth. You know how we've talked about the laws of God. We've talked about the laws of free will, law of desire, law of uh, cause and effect just recently. We've talked about the law of forgiveness and repentance. You've heard of that law? The laws of love. And I'll talk a little bit about, a bit about some of those laws in a minute. But every one of those laws we've talked about for hours and likely after you've listened to the discussion, you've gone home and talked about it for hours. All right? But the very next day often, 
there's a cause and effect event that occurs that we don't understand. Or there's a free will event that occurs that we don't understand. Or there's an issue of forgiveness that we don't understand. And what does that tell us? It tells us that the intellectual understanding of a law has next to no benefit to our soul. It's only when we emotionally grasp the law in its full capacity that we have the ability to actually understand it. And then we don't need to discuss it because we live it. Do you, do you see? So what's happening for many of us is that we have been presented with all these laws that's like the law of attraction. How many of you are afraid of, your law, of the law of attraction? Be honest. Like, yeah, good half of the audience still. Yeah. Yeah. That tells us that we are yet to have the law in our heart. The law is not in our heart. It's just an intellectual understanding at this point. The law of cause and effect that we went through last time we were together. How many of you are confused with the law of cause and effect? Like something happens and you're trying to work out, why did that happen? Why did that happen? <laughs> huh? Okay. What about the law of uh, desire? Do all of you believe you understand that law? Have all of you got exactly what you want right at this moment? <laughs> no one has that? Someone has exactly? If you haven't got exactly what you want in all areas of your life right at this moment, then you don't understand the law of desire. Does that make sense? So that's a, another law. It's not understood at the soul level, I'm saying. The law of forgiveness. When somebody comes up and punches you in your arm, how many of you feel like forgiving them? How many of you, when somebody comes up and yells and screams at you, how many of you feel like forgiving them? So that indicates if the feeling isn't there, it means that the law isn't in your heart yet. Because you would actually feel like that once the law's there. Do you understand? Yeah? How about the law of repentance? I'll just write it like this. Forgiveness is about what others have done to you, right? That harmed you or hurt you or whatever. Repentance, what's that about? What, what you've done to others, right? So, so how many of you engage that law? Sometimes? Yeah. So all of you have all of your children, all who love you dearly, and they, and they have no blockages with you whatsoever. Is that right? No? Well, perhaps you're not engaging that law yet, if that's the case. And all of you are in a relationship and you have no problems with the relationship at all. Is that right? No? Then you're not engaging that law yet, at the soul level, right? Because if you were, there would be no blockages to your partner, to your soulmate, there'd be no there's all sorts of reasons why there's blockages and it's because of what others have done to us and what we have done to others 
And those two laws are one of the they're all associated with the most powerful law of the power the laws of love, and that's the most powerful law in the universe. And yet, we still don't understand them. So you know what we do instead? We engage this law of compensation. How many of you are familiar with that law? Yeah, that law is the one that we're most familiar with, actually. Because that's a law of natural love, and that's what we do most of the time. We don't engage forgiveness or repentance at an emotional level. So what we're doing is we're trudging through our life with all this weight of all of the things that we've done and what others have done to us on our shoulders. And every time an event happens, one of, them, one of these things that we're carrying on our shoulders gets triggered or gets pushed around like a saw that's getting prodded. Imagine a big open wound and somebody's just sticking your finger in it and wiggling the finger around a bit. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? There's the law of compensation happening for us. And again and again and again and again and again until such a time as we engage one of these laws. Now, for the majority of us, we think we've heard the information and we think we get it. But we don't. Because if we'd engaged those laws, this wouldn't even be happening. You'd be walking around with nothing needing to be compensated for. Because everything's been resolved by the other laws that are higher in their nature. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because for truth to really be known in the sense of I know the truth, it has to be in my heart. And if it's not in my heart yet, I'm going to have to try. But when it's in my heart, I don't have to try anymore. So that can relieve me of lots of stress and lots of pressure. How many of us feel pressure about being on the path? Lots of us feel pressure all the time about it, don't we? It can relieve us of all pressure if the truth was in our heart. How is the truth going to, be get, in, going to get into our heart? It's got to go in motionally. What's got to come out first? The error. Mm. So the problem we have now is that we have an understanding intellectually of the first aspect of truth, of the first aspect of divine truth or the first aspect of the way. The emotional understanding we have of that is this, that only God's love can transform our soul beyond what it was originally created to be. Only God's love can transform us. We can't do it ourselves. That's the fundamental truth. So then we realise that actually we need to be open to that love flowing into us and that brings us to the second point, that to be open or what creates the openness in our soul to receiving love is truth. Therefore, we need to have an openness to truth. But we also then realise that many of us don't have much of an openness to truth because we 
are holding on to error. And the error is like a filling up our bottle, filling up our soul so much that there's no space for truth to enter. So that brings us to what we need to do with the third aspect. Actually, I'll get that thing again. <clears throat> so what does that bring us with the third aspect? The third aspect was humility. So let's talk about humility. So what was humility again? So we're talking number three now. It's the a passionate longing and desire and desire to feel and all of my beliefs and emotions whether painful or pleasurable no matter what anyone else thinks thinks or feels So seeing yourself as God sees you from an emotional perspective. Okay. This is where, can you see, we have the most work to do. This is where our will is engaged or not engaged. It's our humility. That is the problem. So let's just write that down. I'll just write it down as humility. Be humble. It's not the same as being humiliated, is it? That somebody else taking actions to make you feel bad. We're not talking about that. We're talking about you being completely open to experience every single thing that's within you that's out of harmony or in harmony with love. Doesn't matter which. Just everything. Not selective. Not wanting to control it. Not being afraid of how other people view it. Just feeling it every single time. Yep. Now, can you see the effect that this is going to have on the previous two points? If we're humble, then we'll be open to receiving truth because the only thing that stops us from receiving truth is that we're worried about what the truth is about. And if we're willing to feel our emotions about what the truth is about, then we'd receive the truth. Right? 
And if we can receive the truth, then our truth will open our heart and then God's love will flow if we have a longing for it. So that it's all quite simple, really. Everything is dependent upon our humility. How humble we are, how willing we are to actually feel all of our feelings. Now, there's quite a lot I can say about this subject and a lot that I've said in the talk about humility in the past that's worth listening to again if you want to listen to that. What I would like, what I'm trying to do today is help you see within yourself the relationship between these three things humility, truth, and love. And how important it is to fully grasp and understand these basic principles of the way, the path to God, the divine love path, as you call it. If we fully grasp these principles, those three primary principles, this being the third, we will understand that everything is dependent upon my will. How fast I progress is completely dependent upon my will, nothing else. And I'm not saying that you have to progress fast or slowly, because I'm not saying there's a competition involved. It's an everlasting process, so why compete with anyone about it? I'm saying, what's the point of not progressing when you could be happier if you do? You see, much of our unhappiness on the so-called way, is that we're not actually on the way. We're not actually on the path. We're not actually on the way to God's love. We're actually on the natural love way still, and we've just called it a different name. We've learnt all of these principles, learnt all of these laws, and we've done it all intellectually just like we learnt everything else in our lives. And so we're still on the same path. Just because we've learnt the terminology of something, it doesn't mean that we understand it. Here in our soul. And we can talk terminologies all day, you know, even start with the acronyms, you know. How's your LOA? And what about your FW? And how'd it go with your CNE? Oh, I've got no idea. You're still trying to work out the CNE? <laughs> Cause and effect, yeah. But the point is that, you know, we can create even a language that describes a path and still not understand the path. And many of us have done that. And what's this about it being your law of attraction? I still don't get that. Whose law of attraction? God's law, that's right. Good on you. That just comes straight off the head, didn't it? Is it in your heart? If it was in your heart, you'd trust it, wouldn't you? You'd trust that law. That law of attraction is bringing you every event perfectly to correct your soul. What a wonderful law. You wouldn't be going, oh, what's my law of attraction going to bring next, you know, would you? You'd be going, let's embrace life and see what happens next. And whatever happens next is exactly what I need to have happen because my, the law is perfect in its operation. It's going to correct my soul. It's going to change me if I embrace it. This is where we need humility. Now, what does humility feel like to you? See, for a lot of people, I notice humility feels really bad. 
Like it feels like humiliation is probably a better way for, that most people use this, a, a better way to describe what most people feel. It doesn't have to be humiliation. It's just what most of us feel. Whenever we're humbled into a state where we have to feel something, we often feel at the same time quite humiliated rather than feeling humility. See, humility would, would eventually result in you not feeling humiliated in any situation. So somebody comes up to you and said, Oh, I heard five years ago that you slept around and you did this and you did that and now you're with your wife. Does she know? And, she's, and the person's just talking about it. Instead of feeling these waves of going, how does they know about that? I tried to cover all that over. What's going? Instead of feeling all of that, you'd go, yeah, yeah, I did. My wife already knows and we've sorted through the issues emotionally. You know, you'd feel relaxed, would you not? You wouldn't feel humiliated because you have the humility to admit the truth of your life to others. Right? So you wouldn't feel humiliated. If you feel humiliated, you have no humility. <laughs> Does that make sense? You have no humility if you feel humiliated. Right? And often, how often do we feel humiliated? Frequently, for many of us, still. Is it not? And yet, if we had true humility, we would be okay with stating the truth about every single thing in our life. As the saying, warts and all. Because we would actually love the process of humility. We understand that it is the grassroots quality that allows the growth of divine love in our soul. It allows us to be open to truth, which allows the love to flow. The truth opens our soul. So what I've done is I've made a heap of lists, which a list of different things with regard to the desire for truth and the desire for humility on this handout. And rather than going through with them individually with you and treating you like you don't know how to read, what I would like to do is ask you when you get the handout, to down, when, once we get it on the net, and I'll try to get it on there over the next week, to get the handout yourself and to look through the questions that are asked you about truth and humility. There are many questions that it talks about. And what I'd like to do, is, if we can, is over the next three months, because I don't know if you realise, but this is the last talk we'll be giving in Australia for three months. right? So... so over the next three months, you have a perfect opportunity to fully engage the principles of the way in your personal life. You have all the space and time necessary and the beautiful way... See, there's waves of love coming through the universe at the moment. You've felt them, but unfortunately for many of us, we feel pressured rather than feeling it as waves of love. But there are these waves of love coming through the universe right now that are helping you get into more harmony with love if you engage the process with humility. right? And if you can allow yourself to use it as a, over the next three months as homework, if you like. Something to engage in your personal life over the next three months. The aspect of humility, truth, and then long, longing for love. You don't need to worry about changing your soul. God will do that for you if 
you allow the other two things to occur. If you allow humility and you allow the openness to truth. You let yourself feel divine truth. And what I'd like to encourage you to do is to engage this process like sincerely and passionately over the coming few months. What we're trying to do is we're trying to set up events that you can be involved in, just, just things that we can do, which will engage some of this process with you. And what we're trying to do is encourage the team leaders and the team secretaries in, or the team assistants in the God's Way of Love organisation to focus you on the principles, the basic principles of the way, God's way of love. We're trying to focus those principles to each individual who engages the, the God's Way of Love team activity. And so every single event that is created, and there'll be events created even while we're away, we'd love you to be involved in them in such a way, we're not asking you, telling you have to be involved, but we're asking you if you are going to get involved, that you engage the three things in those involvements. That you engage firstly your humility, and then secondly your desire for truth in this process and then allow or desire God's love to flow and you'll notice some effects in you for a change. It's when we don't have humility where we're shut down or we're not shut, where we're shut down to truth that, that there is no way for us to change except with a lot of personal hard effort. And many of you are getting tired with the effort. That's what we notice. Just tired with the effort. And I understand that. I, I had to go through this process in my own progression where I gave up the effort to change. Understanding that God's love is the transforming power and all I've got to do is engage humility and truth. That's my part. That's the role I have to play. And I can use my will to do so. With the aspect of humility, if you think about it, if we have a passionate longing and desire to feel, we won't be taking actions to avoid our feelings all the time. Many of you are still planning your life to avoid feelings or discomforts instead of planning your life to do the opposite thing, to engage feelings. We're planning our life to avoid them. And when we plan our life to avoid them, we are automatically in a closed place with regard to our soul and no truth can enter now. We are also not feeling all of our emotions, whether they are painful or pleasurable. Many of us are having trouble with even the pleasurable ones, let alone feeling the painful ones. Many of us also have so much trouble feeling painful or pleasurable emotions that we create alternate emotions to feel. We create emotions of self-deception. So, to give you some examples of those, here's one emotion of self-deception. Self-punishment. is an emotion of self-deception. Many of you have become experts at it. Right? 
Self-punishment always covers over deeper grief associated with how you've been punished by others. You can't learn to punish yourself without somebody first punishing you. So self-punishment prevents feeling pain about our parents. It shuts us down to the truth. The truth is that our parents treated us badly on many occasions and as a result they treated us badly on so many occasions that we learnt to punish ourselves in order to avoid their punishment of us. We learnt to actually go through this process of becoming self-punishing rather than actually feeling the grief associated with the unloving behaviour of our own parents. And so every time you go into self-punishment, understand, you are now avoiding grief, not actually feeling it. Nothing can change while you're punishing yourself. Nothing. And in fact, the unfortunate truth about self-punishment is that it just teaches us that we can go and do the same things again and even do the same things to other people. And that's the, that's the problem, is that we often do what others have done to us because we deny the pain of what they've done to us. And what we do then is we act out that pain in our relationship with others. Yeah? That is an emotion of self-deception. You can cry all day about, about, and be self-punishing all day and how terrible you are and how bad you are and all those kind of emotions. And at the end of the day, it's highly unlikely if you're avoiding the underlying emotion about your parents, it's highly unlikely you'll feel any better. And a month later you won't feel better and your law of attraction will not have changed. When I say your law, God's law of attraction will not have changed on your soul because your soul has not changed. Right? So self-punishment is a way to avoid emotion rather than to embrace it. Here's another one. Blaming others. Whenever we blame others, we are forgetting a fundamental truth and that is that Everything we create comes from within our own soul. Now, others may have placed it there, but they cannot release it for us. Every time I blame another person, I take away from myself the power to change my feelings by releasing them, by feeling them every single time. It's another deception that we're often engaged in. So we get angry with them, resentful of them and so forth. We can't forgive them. And while all of those things are happening, no more truth can enter us. We're going to be stagnant. Love cannot enter us and transform us in that state. There are many other examples I could choose. There are just a few. So if you think about it, what we need to do 
is we need to start examining ourselves more carefully with the aspect of humility. How do I really feel, not how do I know I should feel? There's a big difference between those two things. You know? we, we hear all the divine love path and we go, oh, I should never get angry with another person again. But how do you really feel? For many of us, you still feel angry every single day for lots of different reasons. Be honest about it and humble about the anger that you feel. A person who feels that anger would allow themselves to feel it and understand that there must be some terrible fears underneath this anger. At least they'd understand that. And then they'd, if they were really humble, they'd let themselves feel their terrible fears rather than expecting people in their environment to change their fears for them. Can you see? Can you feel that the aspect of humility now has closed you down completely? Right now. Can you feel the majority of you are now really close to the discussion? Can you see the further we go down, we talk about love, pretty open, talk about truth, close down, talk about humility, now we're in the business end. <laughs> and this, this determines whether we really have the will to change, whether we really have the will to allow God to transform our soul. Matthew? Uh, you, you mentioned earlier about uh, it gets to the point where the pain of not feeling it is, too, is greater than the fear. Yep. How I feel like that I've got that in spades all the time. How can I, uh, how can I make that pain worse so I do it earlier? <laughs> it sounds like a self-deceptive... It's probably not if you loved honest, yourself, but. would you want to make your pain worse? No. Okay, so, so yeah. if, it's taking the, if it's taking huge amounts of pain before you feel, my suggestion is with lessen your resistance to the pain. So like deal with my fears about feeling fear or something? like. Well, I'll, I'll give you a practical illustration. Yes. When you were a child mm. and you were two years age and mum, and mum gave you a knife to try out and you started cutting things up and then you cut your finger, yeah. what did you do? Cried. Cried. Immediately. Yeah. Right? Didn't you? Threw the knife away. <laughs> Probably. I can't remember. Well, you know, every single person who gets cut the first time yeah. generally yes. cries. Yes. As a child, that is. Yeah, yeah. What do you do now when you cut yourself? Get angry. <laughs> you know, and a lot of expletives come out, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you hold it, wrap it up with a Band-Aid and get on with your life. Can you see the difference? Yeah. One is a place of complete humility, complete humility to the actual pain. The child who just breaks down and cries, does not get angry yeah. and isn't afraid, just breaks down and cries. The other is a complete resistance to humility and, and we're so, we're so desensitised that we cut ourselves and we can't even cry anymore. That's how desensitised we've become at the soul level. We can cut ourselves and not even cry anymore when we used to cry at the drop of a hat as soon as we cut ourselves. Now what we need to learn to do is whenever we're in emotional pain or physical pain, we need to allow ourselves to submit and surrender to the pain. That's what humility does. 
but I put to you that most of us are in so much resistance to the pain that the pain levels have to get so great and then we submit. Yeah. My suggestion is reduce the level of resistance so the pain levels only have to be this big or even this big or even barely noticeable before you feel the emotion. Do you, do you follow? Yeah, I guess I just need to know, we'll get in my heart how to reduce the resistance. Well, at the moment, there's your resistance to pain. <laughs> you might want to draw it a bit bigger, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got enough space. <laughs> there's your resistance to pain. Yeah. And what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to increase it before you feel it. Agreed. That, that yep. was your question. Yes. You, wanted, you said, how can I make my pain even bigger so that I can feel what it's all about? Ah, oh, right. Now, that wouldn't be a loving thing to do. The loving thing to do, surely, okay. if I really love myself, I would want to reduce my resistance to pain so that I feel it more easily. Now, the question is, and it's a valid question, how do I reduce my resistance to pain? Yeah. By dealing with all of my fears associated with it. Yeah. That's how I reduce my resistance to pain. So, what's one of my fears associated with pain? If I cry, mm. everyone will laugh at me. That's one of my fears associated with pain. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So what do I do? I can either choose to cry and ignore the fear... Or I can embrace the fear and not cry and therefore make myself more desensitised to pain. Yeah. I can do one of those two things. That is my own choice. This is where I can make a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to worry about the transformation of my soul. All I need to do in this case is just make the choice to cry when the tears are there and to cry no matter what the situation and if other people are angry with me or upset with me or think I'm an idiot or laugh at me, then you cry about that as well. Yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Thanks. Once we cry it all out, when somebody laughs at us, we won't need to cry again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They laugh at us and we're going, no worries, I'm okay with you laughing at me, that's fine. We'll get to that point once all of the actual emotional fear and the actual grief about being laughed at has been released. Then we'll get to the point where we actually no longer feel that other people's projections at us will stop us from doing anything. Yeah. So and at that point, we will no longer have any grief to feel either, yeah. so we won't be crying all the time anymore. But we've yeah, got to be prepared yeah. for the interim bit. Yeah. We've got to be prepared that here's where we are now. Mm. Here's at one with God. Yeah. And in between those two states is a lot of pain. Pain. Yeah. Why is there a lot of pain between those two states? Because of the yeah. error. Yeah. And the error is emotionally in me. It has to come out emotionally. There's no other way for it to exit. And my humility will determine my ability to actually feel it. Right. If I'm really, really humble, I'll feel it easily. If I'm really resistive, I'll take thousands of years to do it. 
there are some of you in the audience today who are going to take a thousand years to do it. Yeah. Because of your choice. I have people from my first century life, friends of mine and Mary's from our first century existence, who are still in the hells and they have not yet decided to do it. And they've come up with a lot of reasons why they shouldn't. One of them is blaming me quite extensively. Yeah. Right? But they're still not doing it. Because they're not prepared to just be humble and feel their own pain. There needs to be, we need to be not resistive to it. It doesn't mean immersing ourselves in pain. Because the reality, and this is the, the amazing thing about pain, is that if you feel it and release it, you actually feel a pleasure afterwards. You actually feel good. Mm. A lot of people believe, and many of you have this false belief, that if you start feeling pain, it will be never ending. ending. It's a physical impossibility. Your soul's only finite. Remember? It can only have a finite amount of pain in it. So it's a physical impossibility for it to last forever. Unless you don't feel it at all and then it's going to stay in you for as long as you don't feel it but it's finite it's a certain size and it can be released and once it's released it will be gone forever gone you won't have to ever revisit it now i don't know about you but i personally would prefer to choose that kind of option than holding on to my pain, making my pain bigger so that I have to feel it, forcing myself into feeling. Yep. These, are all, these are all things that we construct or force ourselves into doing and really we're not allowing or surrendering anymore. What we're doing is forcing and pushing. You cannot stay on the divine love path. You cannot stay on the way by forcing and pushing yourself through everything. You can't. Sooner or later you're going to get to something that you can't force or push yourself through and you've got to surrender to. So what we need to do is learn to surrender. To the error. To the pain. Yeah. To the emotion of the error. The emotion of the pain. Yeah? When you fully surrender to the emotion... That's what humility does. Mm. The emotion flows through you in a finite amount of time and exits you completely. And from that moment, now that you've released the error, there's space for truth to enter. And in that moment of releasing error, you will realise many truths in your soul. You won't have to intellectually work them out anymore. You go, wow. I just released all that pain about my mum and dad controlling me and now I understand a lot more about free will. All of a sudden, I understand more about free will without having to be told anything about it because yep. my blockages yep. to understanding free will were all about the emotion of control and manipulation that I was still holding on to about my parents. And once I released that emotion, the blockage I had to my understanding emotionally, the principles of free will are gone. And now I get it. And you'll have these amazing periods of realisation inside of your soul, not just in your mind, where you actually get it. 
And you go, wow, I've been talking about it for four years and I only just got it. <laughs> right? And that, you, many of you have had this happen to you already about some things, yes? Where, where you go, how did that four year go past without me getting that? And how it went past was by our not being humble to the emotion that prevented the truth from entering. So remember if we get back to our original summary or premise, and that is this. Love transforms, divine love transforms our soul. But divine love can't enter our soul without truth being present in our soul. But the truth can't be present in our soul while the error is in it. Because truth and error cannot exist on the same subject in the same place at the same time. So what we need to do is release the error and our willingness to release the error is called humility. So of all the things that I need to work on, surely humility is the greatest in terms of what I can do to change. See, love is what God does to change you. Truth opens you to that love, but humility is what you can do to change you. Thank you. And when you understand that then humility is a key portion, a key thing to develop in your own personal life, you get the process. Because once you release the blockage, once you release the emotional error, and you release it by not intelli- intellectualizing the error and talking about the error, and you, you don't discuss the error, and you don't realize intellectually the error, none of those things will actually change the error. What actually changes the error is to feel the pain, surrender to the pain of the error. That allows you to feel the error. Once you feel the error, you have space for truth to enter. And all you've got to do is have a longing for it. It will enter you immediately and it will be a part of your very existence. You will carry it around with you everywhere you go. You won't have to read a book about it. You won't have to listen to a talk about it. You won't have to study anything about it. It will be present in you. And as you walk around, everyone will know, gee, that person seems to know everything about free will. I don't understand how they know that. And, the, and then when they ask, you'll say, it was my humility that allowed me to get an understanding of that truth. Yeah? And my humility is this, being completely open to experience Every emotion, whether what I call good or bad, painful or pleasurable, no matter what anybody thought, I was willing to go there. No matter how much I was laughed at, no matter how much I was ridiculed, no matter how much I wasn't accepted, no matter how much I was condemned, no matter how much I lost all my friends, no matter how much I lost all my family, no matter whether different people wouldn't talk to me for periods of time in my life, I was still willing to go there. And once I was willing to go there to that degree, then I'm in the place of surrender. Does that make sense? When I'm in the place of surrender, I'm now feeling and releasing this pain. And I'm in this beautiful state where the truth can enter me. And because the truth can enter me, when I have a longing for divine love, divine love just comes into me and 
does its stuff and transforms me into a new person. A person that I barely recognised or even knew existed beforehand. Just like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. Exactly the same. So what I hope today's talk has done for you is to inspire you to go back to the basic principles of the path, the basic principles of the way to God, the way to your life. If you choose this way, it'll be a continuous expand, continuously expanding existence. You'll get to the eighth dimension and pain will be no more. Quoting from the Bible, neither will there be outcry or tears anymore. All those former things have passed away. Uh, you've become a new person. A person who no longer experiences pain anymore because you've surrendered and released it all. And because you've received divine love, you've now been transformed into this condition of at one with God. Your heart of stone has become a heart of flesh. Right? And you've now become in this condition with God that you now see everything with wonder and desire and passion. And there is no longer any impediments of pain associated with your former life. You have been transformed from the grub or the caterpillar into the butterfly, never to return to such condition. That's the ability you have. And if you engage the process of the way and just allow yourself to really settle with it over the coming months, you'll find that it is simple to understand and that humility isn't as hard as you believed it to be. You see, for many of us, we believe that surrender is a fearful place. But all we need to do is get through the fear of it. And we will surrender. And when we surrender to the pain and error and we just let it flow out of us without the fear dominating or controlling that process, now we have the ability to transform very rapidly. And that's what I'd like to encourage you to do. You know? I've, oh, sorry. I've been quite terrified that I'll lose some of my base self. Yep. And um, just a few days ago, somebody channeled John Lennon. I'm not sure how accurate it was. Yeah. And he said, I'm still a radical. It felt like meaning about sticking up for humanity or whatever. Yeah. But I've now been purified. Yeah. So, yeah, that felt to me that is perhaps not we're not going to lose part of ourselves like I don't know about anyone else but that's how yeah. I feel that I'll, yeah. by surrendering I'll lose some yeah, he's of now what a loving, God gave me he's now a loving radical yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and that that is true you see uh, many of us are afraid and dearly holding on to what we are now because we're afraid if we let go of that what will we become and what I'm saying to you is God designed you to go through that stage, that transformational stage, that you become the butterfly. That's what God designed for all of you. 
you don't need to fear about what God designed. If, in fact, if you were going to fear anything, it's what you are right now. <laughs> it's a lot scarier than what you'll become. <laughs> Do you understand? Many of you will go in a thousand years' time, you'll be looking down on the earth, and perhaps you won't be, but you'll be looking down there and going, gee, look at what I used to be. I'm, I can't even believe that was me. You, honestly, many of you will not be able to even believe that the person you are currently is the re- was the real you at this point in time. You'll look, you'll look back on the whole process and you'll go, and see, this is the beautiful thing about distance, is it allows you perspective. And you'll look back in perspective and go, wow, you know that really hard time on earth, you know, just before the time of earth changes and just after the time of earth changes, when I was just going for heaps of crap and my relationship was breaking up and I was so distressed and everything was happening and I feel really bad about myself all the time and everything was bad. I had to have all of that to be the person I am now, but I can't even relate to that person anymore. That person's gone because it was never the real you in the first place. The real you is the person that God designed you to become. That's the real you. And for most of us, we're yet to even see a smidge of the real us. Because, because we're still holding on to the definition of ourselves in the hope that somehow we'll become, through our own effort, a transformed being. And we have no reason to suppose such a thing. You will never become more than what God originally designed you to be unless you receive the transformational love of God. Never. And we need to just come to accept that. Come to accept that what's blocking that love from flowing into our soul is the truth. We're not accepting the truth. And we need to come to accept that the reason why we're not accepting the truth is because we're just not humble. We just don't want to surrender to our pain. And we need to learn to surrender to everything, including our pain. If we can do that, everything will change. Everything will change. So that's what I would love to encourage all of you to do over the next three months. Surrender to your pain. Does that make sense? Surrender to your pain. Don't come along to another one of these sessions without having surrendered to your pain. (laughs) At some level at least. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Um, I'm just struggling a lot with um, with doing God's way, and I'm just wondering, like, why do some of us find it so hard? Like, I'm just wondering about those qualities of desire for truth and humility, whether that's actually part of the personality of some people's souls and that's why that they can do God's path because you've mentioned with your soul. So, so can I put to you a proposition? So what you're telling me is that God designed a path which is the only pathway to God and then God designed some souls, on, some souls that would find the path as hard as possible. 
I feel like that he's designed some songs that can do it. Yeah. And mine is one that can't, unfortunately, and that, yeah. And, and that is just a false belief. It is an untruth. So is it just my, my fear is just, like, because I'd reflect on what's different about me with, than people that are doing God's way. Is it just my fear and just that my parents have so much resistance? It's because you have resistance. From my parents? Just it doesn't matter where it's from, does it? I guess not. I'm just trying, probably trying to compare. And, and why would you be trying to understand it? Because you don't want to feel it. Right, see, so what happens is, this is what's happening for many of us, is for some reason we believe that God in infinite love and wisdom, which we intellectually grasp, but we don't yet feel, we intellectually grasp that God has this infinite love and wisdom, so therefore God created a system and created our souls in this scope of everlasting and, and incredible infinite love and wisdom. And then we said that then God created a whole heap of souls which would find it as hard as possible. And God did that for what reason? To torment those particular souls, I gather. Is that the reason? Which is, which is perhaps what our parents might have done, but it's certainly not what God would have done. So God didn't create this to be harder for Kate than it is for Mary. Never. God never created it that way. God created it consistent right across the board. It's the same way that all of us, if we wish to be at one with God, need to embrace. We need to embrace this particular path. I'm saying to you that if there is resistance to the path and love is not flowing into your soul, that it is completely and utterly under your own control. Now, I know that's a fairly hard truth for some of us to accept. But it is the truth that if God's love is not flowing into the soul, the only thing that can prevent it is me. I am the only impediment to the process. And the only thing that would cause me to have impediment to the process is my humility. So if, I f if I'm finding that things are not progressing for me, I need to examine my humility. And remember, humility is often prevented by fear. It's your fear that stops you from being completely humble. In other words, your fear prevents you from having a passionate longing and desire to feel all beliefs and emotions, whether they are painful or pleasurable. So work on your fear. Stop using fear as an excuse to justify false belief systems that then cause you to justify why you can't do it. Do you understand? So you're using your fear of feeling everything to justify this untruth that you've created, that God has created some souls so it's harder for them than other souls. This is an untruth and your fear creates it and it's your fear of your real feelings that you don't want to surrender to that creates that feeling. So it's just another of my ingenious ways of avoiding my feelings. Yes, Kate, that tells me you are a very clever woman. <laughs> huh? What do you mean? Because you've come up with a very clever way of avoiding some emotion. 
But it's not very clever, really, is it? That's the problem. It's intellectually might seem clever to us because it prevents pain for a shortened period of time, but it doesn't stop the pain of our entire life and it creates its own negative creations as a result of the pain that exists. So while it may appear to be the best cause of action to our mind to nurse ourselves through a period of hardship, it's certainly not the best course of action for our soul. This is where our mind is pretty hopeless, really, when it comes to understanding matters of the heart. Yep. And, and it's our fear that dominates most of our thinking and unfortunately dominates most of our untrue belief systems that we hold on to because we don't want to feel. It's amazing what we do to not feel. I don't know about you, but I've been actually blown away sometimes of the extent I will go to to not feel. And I'm a pretty humble person. You haven't had to tell me when I've been unloving to you. Right? And yet I often enter this state, even with some of my emotions recently, particularly some of my emotions recently, where I'm not in the state of humility because I'm so afraid to deal with some of the emotions. I'm so afraid to feel them. We need to stop creating alternate belief systems in order to not feel. We're experts at it. And our parents taught us to be experts at it. And their parents taught them to be experts at it. And it goes back for generations. But that doesn't justify the condition. Does that answer your question though, Kate? Because there's still a feeling in you that God must have created you differently, isn't there? Um, I can understand what you're saying. Um, this I, is what I'm getting at though, Kate. Yeah, I know. While you have this feeling in you that God created you differently and has made it harder for you to feel your feelings... While that feeling exists in you then, and doesn't come out, then you're going to carry that belief with you into all of these things that you do. So what you do need to feel is feel that feeling, how much you feel that God made you different to everybody else. Now once you fully feel that feeling, which is an error-based feeling, once you fully feel it, You'll, you'll begin to release it and then you'll realise how much it's tied into your parents and how they treated you and how, what they believed and so forth. You'll start having all these different truthful realisations that enter you and when the truth enters you, it will open you up and now when you long for some love, some love will enter. Does that make sense? If you choose to not feel it and intellectualise it, go, no, I'm just not going to have that belief anymore, which is, an, which is a state that's only imagined and can never be actually done. If you choose to do that, then you're not even going to ever feel the truth. So you do need to feel the emotion that God created you different and God purposely did it to traumatise you in some way. Is that and relating to my illness when I was a child? Yes, or and your parents' belief about the, the illness and your parents' belief about how they felt that they were being punished or oh. condemned by God for you having their child having this illness. Remember that many people have grown up with very steadfast, 
what you would now call religious beliefs, but, but, but these are beliefs that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation of people, all about God and God's nature. And a lot of people now believe that God's nature is punishing. You know, people who don't even believe in God think that God's punishing. We have a discussion with an atheist. And like every discussion I've ever had with atheists, they've always gotten back to the fact that God, the way the religions portray them, doesn't exist. And when I agree with them, they get all confused. Right? Because they think what I'm doing is saying that the God of the Bible exists. Or the God of the Koran exists. And that God doesn't exist. But, but they have even created their belief system, the atheist belief system, based on the fact that that God potentially, by, according to these people, does exist. And then they argue against the existence of such a thing, and I agree with them totally. There is no such thing. And yet they still carry on the beliefs because of the multi-generational system that has been present for thousands and thousands of years before Christianity even came along, to be frank. This belief that God was a punishing God that we had to appease and that if we didn't appease this punishing God that my progeny, my children, would be damaged or hurt or harmed in some way. They used to even, you know, in those times, they used to get the firstborn of their own child, of their own children, and sacrifice them with a knife to the very God that they were appeasing. Every firstborn generally died in some cultures to that God. That's how strong that belief is in humanity. And that's carried forth into all religions. This idea that God wishes to destroy and punish the people who are wicked and nobody knows who's really wicked because nobody really knows what's wicked <laughs> and so they all were trying to guess and they also create ideas of what's wicked as a result and that emotion is in you so because i when i was i i just remember like saying to my mom like how how could god why did god make this happen to me like i felt i'd done something wrong but I was I was only six at the time, so do you think that that idea just came to me from my mum's feelings yes. about it? Yes. Yeah. Yep. All of the openness in a child to accept a per- certain concept comes from the damage, the emotional damage that are in the parents at the time. So yes. And now you feel that you're different to everybody else, that God wants to punish you. And it's very, very hard to connect to a loving God who you don't believe is loving yeah. So that, that emotion, that if you're humble to that emotion, you'll release that emotion and feel that God's not loving. And then after that, you'll actually realise that God is. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yep. So um, you can see from these discussions that we've had that the reality of humility is very different than the words of it or the thought of it. Can you see that? The reality of humility is to actually embrace the true emotional condition, the truth about yourself at this point in time, warts and all. And once you embrace that condition, from then on you have the ability to change because you're now accepting the truth. Janet? I was talking to Dave Robinson just a couple days ago and he was sharing with me something that they've taken up as an exercise down in the Armadale area mm-hmm. and that is to um, ask yourself, and he said like every hour, what am I really feeling now? Yeah. And yep. I thought, 
And he said they've actually felt some real changes in people doing that for a week. So it sounds like a good one. So they're saying, what am I really feeling now? And I feel that doesn't go far enough. Because humility would actually feel what I'm feeling now. I think that was the implied next step. I know it's implied, (laughs) but unfortunately rarely happens. (laughs) And that's what we need to do. We can talk about what we're feeling. We can try to work out what we're feeling right now. But until we feel it, there is going to be no change. Yeah. And so we need to get out of uh, even having to ask ourselves, what am I fe- really feeling right now? And just feel it instead. And can you see that would be much simpler than having to ask yourself every hour? If you just felt every moment what you're really feeling, then are you going to have to ask yourself once, five times a day, ten times a day, what are you feeling? No, because you'll be feeling what you're feeling in every moment. Do you see? Okay, well, we're just in kindergarten, so (laughs) (laughs) it's a good first step. Well, it's a first step that uh, while it might appear to our mind to be beneficial, the next step is the only one that is going to have any effect. Just on this this question, I feel like, um, you know, we're rehabilitating our ability to feel from from centuries and centuries. I agree. So I kind of feel, you know, I agree, Jenny, that, um, well, we need, you know, I felt when I started, I started in baby steps and I'm still doing baby steps, you know, to actually feel. Yes, but why do we do baby steps when we're capable of taking the steps of a full-grown man or woman? Emotionally, so is it just a decision that? Um, no, I'm, I'm suggesting that we do baby steps because we're afraid. Mm. That's the only reason why we do baby steps, and we even justify the day baby, baby steps by saying, "I'm only just a learner," mm. and that's why I'm going to do baby steps. And I'm saying, "Well, like you're full-grown men and women, most of you now, in terms of physically at least. <laughs> why not make the biggest step possible?" Because you'll get there a lot faster than if you do this. (laughs) You can see that, can't you, physically, that if you do this, it's going to be a lot slower process and a lot more frustrating. If you do this, now we've got some ability to make some big changes. And the only thing that determines that is my fear. And the only thing that determines my fear is my lack of humility. The only reason why I want to make baby steps is because I'm too scared to be humble enough to make the bigger step that I could choose to make if I fully embrace the truth. And this is what we've got to stop doing. We've got to stop justifying to ourselves how slow we're going. And we've got to start looking at the real reasons why we're going slow. And the real reasons why we go slower are all to do with fear. 
and our humility controls our fear. If we're humble, we can feel any fear. Right? So when we allow fear to dominate our choice and decisions, to dominate our movement, we of course are going to be quite slow. We've yet to make the transition into seeing fear as just another emotion. We're still in this mindset of thinking that fear is the most powerful emotion of the universe and we've got to somehow make our fear go away before we make a step. I suggest to you that if you choose to do it the opposite way around, you will benefit greatly. The opposite way around is to realise you have fear, allow yourself to feel your fear and still make the step. And that's what the majority of you do not want to do. And even when I say it, how much does the fear of it even come up in you? It's quite strong, even just saying that. So allow yourself to have the humility to feel your fear because when you do that, you will see that your fear is just another emotion. You don't have to keep use, constraining your life based on your fears. So I agree with Dave's recommendation that what am I really feeling is a good question to ask ourselves, but it's far better and in fact far more effective to feel what I'm really feeling now rather than asking myself what I'm feeling now. And in fact, I would suggest that if I've got to ask this question, I am not actually feeling and I'm probably afraid and there's something I need to deal with with my humility about my fear. Yeah. Rita, thanks. <clears throat> so does that mean when I feel what I'm really feeling now that I might be unpolite and rude and walk away from a conversation because it doesn't suit me or I am not pleasing or if something is boring... I can maybe say, look, it's, you're, boring, you're boring to me. How many of go. you are bored now? Honestly. No, honestly. O honestly. <laughs> How many of you have heard enough of this now and you just want to go home? Honestly. See, that's half the audience, if they're honest. So why haven't you walked out yet? Because you're afraid. Did that hit you? All of those of you who put your hand up saying you're bored now, you really want to go home now, you haven't walked out because you're afraid. No other reason. You're afraid of what it might look like getting up and walking out, what AJ might think of you getting up and walking out, what all sorts of fears are, uh, could be confronted in this very moment. Right? Good on you, Jim. Mm -hmm. All of the fears could be confronted in that very moment. See? You can ch confront these things straight away. We are addicted to looking a certain way. And it's our addictions that are covering these fears. So you and your choose, that was just you being you and being uh, true to who, how you felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got a sore bum, you're allowed to stand up. It doesn't matter where you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're bored, you can go. If you're in a relationship that's not, the, the, the other person's like terrible to you, then leave. You're allowed to do anything you wish, right? but do it in love. You're allowed to do these things in love. So if I stand up, 
because I've got a sore bum, then get out of the way of everyone else who's sitting down. That would be loving. You're still getting what you want, they're still getting what they want. You see, we do not want to engage truthfully, and that's what humility is. Humility is engaging truthfully everything we feel, truthfully, and recognising when it's out of harmony with love and doing something about it if we want to. That's humility too. But we need to do that. And can you see, if you were like that, how, how fast you'd deal with your fears? It would be like bang, 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 bang. You know, months later you'd be like fearless. If you did that every single moment, you'd hardly have any fear in you at all, wouldn't you? If you just engage those situations. So rather than me talk more about it, for the sake of those people who are bored, <laughs> I think it's time for us to finish. It is time. And, but I want to just remind you, don't try to transform your own soul because it doesn't work. Let God's love transform your soul. And if it isn't doing the job, it's because it's not coming into your soul and address the reasons why it's not coming into your soul rather than trying to put on a, more of a facade just in a different direction. Stop the facade. Stop trying to put on something in a direction and start just living what you feel. I'm okay with that. That's what I'm teaching you to do. Of course I'm going to be okay with that. I'm okay with you getting up and walking out. I'm okay with we, at the end of a discussion, we have 10 people just down the front still here and talking, if that's how long I want to speak and that's how long they wish to listen. I'm okay with that. So let yourself engage all of that. So that's what we'd like to encourage you to do for homework over the next three months. Does that sound all right with you? That's great. Would you like to... I, we'll talk about some other things now? Or, oh, or you're finished? No, no yeah. you want to talk about this? No, not this. No, okay. Yeah. So now we're talking about something else. Not a part of the... Yeah. We're finished. <laughs> Thanks. It was an awesome talk, babe. It was so good. I don't want to hold anyone up. I just want to say, um, really, AJ usually gets to do this... Um, Thank you so much for all of your donations over the past year. Little and big, they're all big to me. <laughs> um, yeah, it really means a lot and I never get to express that. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. We've got... yeah. Thanks. <clears throat>